So I want to do this. I want to just tell you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. I'm continuing the series that Pastor Steve has done, and we've been talking about seeking him. The last few weeks that we've been together, he's talked about seeking him in the word. So important, so powerful. We've talked about seeking him in prayer. So thankful to hear about last week's message, seeking him in fasting. I was the direct benefactor along with our worship team that we brought out, or Pastor Steve and some of our team at the Knot Conference. God did some awesome things. He's doing some great things here as you get into his word, as you pray, as you fast. Today's message is called Seeking Him in Solitude. This is oftentimes the three ends neglected, but it's necessary, it's needed. Solitude. In our day, I'm telling you, it's like this. It's like a mirage, solitude is. We just have so much coming at us. Anybody agree? It's just like so much coming at us, so much information. We're in the information technology day, and we can't catch a break. We can't do this. We can't get time to ourselves, time alone. So much coming at us. So this is so necessary, so needed, often neglected. I call this the double dip um, spiritual discipline. Why? Because we can do this along with the others, Bible reading, prayer, and what? And fasting. This is the one solitude. We've got to practice it. You say, hey, I'm on page, but can you give me a couple reasons why? That's what I want to talk to you about. I've got five reasons straight from God's word, straight from this psalm, why we need to practice this spiritual discipline. I want to start with this verse. We're going to flash it up on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Let me paint a different verse for you on the same series that you've been in on seeking him. It says in the verse, thus says the Lord. That's what the prophet does. He's speaking for the word, for God. It is the word. He says, stand by the roads. He says, look, and he says, ask for the ancient path, the ancient path where the good way is. Then he says, walk in it, and you'll do what? You'll find rest. You'll find rest for your soul. What's the ancient path? These are the disciplines we're talking about. These are the tireless, timeless truths of God's word that what? That can help us, that can get us going. This is the road that's not often traveled. What road? Seeking him? Seeking him in these disciplines? It's often not traveled, but what does the verse say? It says, you will find rest. Give me a hand raise if you want a little rest today. Oh, we need it. Getting ready for a big week, getting ready for all these things. We need to find rest. Now, there's a warning in the verse. i got to warn you. And this saddens my heart. I know it saddens your pastor's heart. That, what, that, that it says, though, that, that some was just simply going to turn and say, this seeking Jesus, this going down the ancient path, I, I, we will not walk in it. And, and I hope that's not you. And we need to move forward. But you say, well, maybe it is. I, I'm not feeling it. Let me give you five reasons why you need to seek solitude. The first one is this. We'll put it up right on the board. If you're a note taker, go ahead and write down, solitude helps me seek God. Boy, that's right on with the series, that we want to seek him, that that's what it does. This idea of solitude, it helps me. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 63. This is written by David. Interestingly enough, before I get into it, David's, what is he doing? He's kind of on the run. He's going from cave to cave. He's in the desert. Now, this is a little bit funny, but he's experiencing solitude. He's going to teach us, but his was forced solitude. He was on the run. So that's a good indicator for us. we got to force ourselves to do this. 
And maybe you don't have anybody coming after you chucking spears. He did. But this is important. And this is key. He says, oh God, you are my God. Love that. Earnestly I seek you. There it is. Seek him. Seek God. Seek him. Look at the pictures he gives. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. Underline that word faint. We're going to come back to it. He says, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He's painting a picture of what? Of distress. He's painting a picture of hunger. He's painting a picture of thirst. He's the guy that came off the 10K or maybe the 5K or if you're the real person, the big marathon or the Iron Man. And he's just like this, give me some water. Let me find refreshment. That's what he's looking for. His soul faints. That word simply means in its original language in the Hebrew, it's an interesting word. It's only used one time in the um, Old Testament in the entirety of the Bible. And what it simply means is it's this idea that what? That I've gone blind, that I can't see, that that's where my body feels. Now for him, it was physical. For us, sometimes it may be spiritual. But he's saying my soul thirsts, he's in desperate need. We're going to see that phrase a couple times, my soul thirst. The soul in reference to the inward being, the inward part of you, the part that not oftentimes nobody else sees. This is what you need to what? That God wants to fill. He wants to fill your bucket. He wants to fill you. He wants you to move forward. How? By experiencing solitude with him. Definition for solitude, let's put it up so that we know. Let's kind of set the table so we're talking about the same thing. This is a definition that I came up with. It's simply this. Solitude is alone time with God. So we're talking about alone time with God that allows you to do three things, that you would refocus your mind, recalibrate your heart, and reset your soul on the purposes, the plans, and the pleasures of knowing God. Let me slow down and take that one step at a time. I would do what? I would refocus my mind. How many would agree with me that there's just, our minds need to be renewed, there's just too much coming? And, and, and the good, the bad, sometimes the good thing crowds out a, a great thing. And, and that's what happens is this, is like it's not all bad stuff, but it's just like this. Uh, I, I need to recalibrate, I need to refocus. Recalibrating my heart is, you know, the Bible says our hearts are deceitful. And, and so, you know, it's like follow your heart. Well, eh, that's not the best, best plan. And so we need to recalibrate. How do we do it? We've got too much coming at us. We need solitude. And then we need to reset our soul, our spiritual being, and the things that are most critical, the things that are most important, the things that are what? That, that cause us the most joy and happiness, the perspective of eternity and almighty God. That's solitude. Oswald Chambers says it like this. He warns us and he tells us about this solitude, that there's some damage that's happening to you, whether you recognize it, realize it or not, if you're not engaging in this discipline. Solitude with God, he says, repairs the damage done by the fret, the noise, and the clamor of the world. We're, we're experiencing it. Like there's so much fret, there's so much clamor, there's so much anxiety, there's so much angst. What's the solution, man? Hey, type A personality, hey, let's go after it, hey, let's get going more, hey, let's just get going, Start, climb the next hill. No, we got to settle down and seek solitude with God. Solitude helps us get on the same page with him. Second reason why, why we need to seek solitude is this. It helps me experience God. Now think about this for a moment. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for many years. Maybe you just are thinking about it. 
Maybe you're what? You're just saying, hey, man, I want an experiential presence with God. I, I used to have this thing, and it's a little dry. It's a little cold. There's been a ceiling on my spiritual life. I'm just not feeling it like I used to, or I want to feel it more. It's, it's solitude. Like, that's the answer. Like, it's, that's the answer to you. Do you have an experiential relationship with God? Now, we don't have to be like the monks, and we don't have to go lay on a bed of nails. We don't have to do something like that. That's offensive to Christ. Why? Because he already paid the price. Why are you torturing yourself? We just need to take time. Solitude does what? It helps me experience him to a greater level, to a greater degree. Look what David says in verse 2. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Underline those two words, steadfast love. We'll come back. He says, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hand. Man, that's awesome. He says, what, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. When he says that, he's probably referring to something that is very helpful in this scenario at your church, at this stage of life where you're at. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, the temple wasn't built yet, so he was probably dealing with the tabernacle. They were doing a little setup takedown. We're doing a little setup takedown here, aren't we? Every week, it's just like setting up and take it down. But he's looking back, he's saying, hey, I experienced something in the tabernacle. I experienced something of God, and he's reflecting on that experience. Just like you maybe sat in a church as a little kid or the one that you grew up in or even here and had this experience with God. We need to think back on those things. That's what solitude does. That choice, that decision, that stake on the ground, that experience when I felt him, his power and his glory. I mean, that's what he's telling us. That's what he's reminding us to do. When he says steadfast love, interestingly, um, the term is used, steadfast love comes from one, two English words come from one Hebrew word. It's used 245 times in the Old Testament, 125 times in the Psalms. It refers to God's covenantal love. If you were to double click on that, it's his love that's unwavering, his, his love that is unfailing. No matter what you did, no matter what you're going to do, that his steadfast love, that we can count on God. If you experience it, give me a hand raise. His steadfast love, I mean, through the difficulties, through the trials. Like, he's been there, man. I haven't always been there for him. Like, I've walked away from him, he's there. His steadfast love. Uh, speakers try to describe it. You can't describe the love of God. You can experience it. But there's no words that can come out of his lips. There's no illustration that I have that can do what? That can paint the picture of the unwavering, faithful, unfailing love of God. It was displayed on the cross. It says that God's kindness leads us to repentance. That when we totally grasp this truth about what he has done and what he is, it's a covenant. He's made a commitment to us, to you, to me. Did all that for me. Gave me a second chance, new lease on life for me. That's the steadfast love of God. I remember when my girls, I've got three um, daughters, and um, uh, such a joy, and uh, my oldest, uh, Allie, I remember when she was a little kid, we used to have this little game, and just like, it was like, well, how much do I, I love you? I, I love you. And, and then she would say, well, how much? And I'd say, I love you this much. And then, she, then I'd say, and then she'd say, well, how much do you love me? And I'd say, I love you this much. And you get the picture, we'd be going like this, you know, and like this. And then so we'd play this little game, I don't know, in between the Fruit Loops or whatever it was. We used to eat unhealthy back then. <laughs> and then what happened is this one day I was going to work, and 
I'm driving out the um, driveway, and I look in, in our house, and there's a big picture window. And she's standing on the picture window there. I'm looking out my car window, and I see her, and she's like this. That, that's the steadfast love of God. It's wider than you can imagine. It's, it's just there for us. I mean, I love that. That's what David's basking in. That's why he wants to have an experience with God. That's why he values solitude so that he can be renewed in that commitment. Hey, when should we um, experience this solitude? Well, let's learn from our Savior. Let's learn from our Lord. He did it first, so let's do this. He did it so often. Let's learn from him. Eight specific instances. Get ready. Eight we're going to look through the scriptures, got a little interruption here of a Bible study, take a time out to do a Bible study on solitude to ask ourselves, when did Jesus engage it so we know when to engage in solitude? First one is this, when making a big decision, when making a big decision, that's what Jesus did. In Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, he said, now it came to pass in those days he went out to the mountain to pray. And he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples and he chose the 12. So he was deciding what? Who would go with him? He was deciding who he would pour his life in. He was deciding which one of these guys is going to be my apostles that I'm going to send off. This is my crew. He had a big decision to make. So what did he do? He spent time with God in solitude. Second reason. When starting something new. Maybe you've got a new venture in front of you. Maybe you've got a new business opportunity. Maybe you're going back to school. Maybe you've got something to plan. Hey, I, we're thinking about a family, and we, we, we want to have and start a family. We want to adopt a kid. I, I don't know what it is, what the decision is, but maybe it's a new thing for you. Jesus, it says in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it describes an instance of his life when he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he was starving and all these things. But what he did was this. He was starting his ministry. And so again, it's the double dip discipline. So it can go with what? Hey, don't double dip with the chips. You don't do that. But with this discipline, it's like it's necessary. Like, yeah, I can do solitude with fasting. I can do solitude with prayer. I can do solitude. Catch this. And I know uh, many young families represented here, and it's just like, whoa, hold on, solitude? Like, you don't know what it's like in my house. I can't get five minutes to myself, man. Kids are running around. Hey, you got to lock yourself in the basement. Hey, get in the bathroom. Whatever you got to do. There can be short bursts of solitude, and then there can be what? Long bursts, too, where it encompasses a day or hours. So don't rob yourself. Solitude can happen in short bursts. It can happen in what? In an extended period of time. But, but we can't cheat ourselves to not do it. Third thing is this, when facing an opportunity, a challenge, or responsibility. So you've got some kind of opportunity. You've got something that's challenging, maybe something that's facing your family, maybe something with your kids. You're thinking to yourself, man, I, 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 what do I do? Well, what did Jesus do? And rising very early in the morning, it says in Mark chapter 1. We see this all the time. He comes in the morning. What's he doing? He's going to go practice this discipline. While it was still dark, he departed. He went out to a desolate place. There's the key. Every time you see desolate place in the New Testament, what he's doing is he's experiencing solitude. And what did he do there? He double dipped. There he went and prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And they said, hey, everyone's looking for you. And he said to him, hey, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also. That is why I came. What was he doing? He's like, I got something to do. I'm going to do something. I'm fulfilling what I want to do. There's a great opportunity, and I'm not going to go get this done without some solitude. 
So let that be a check in your spirit for your occupation, for your job, for your desire to share your faith, for all these things, for your tests, for your schoolwork. I got something on my plate. Well, experience solitude to re-engage and reset your heart. Another instance is good stuff from the life of Jesus. Oh boy, if you didn't say yes, that would have been a bad thing. Because he can teach us these things and he modeled these things because he was 100% man, 100% God. What's the next one? Well, the next one is this. It may surprise you, but it's when grieving the loss of someone that you love or someone that's close to you. And that's what Jesus did. He, he, he grieved the loss of his friend. He grieved the loss of his relative. And he experienced solitude. Look at Matthew chapter 14. He did this. He sent, uh, that was referring to Herod, the scripture is. And Herod did what? He beheaded John and put, he put him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and to this girl and to her mom at this party. And, and then when Jesus found out about this, it's just like, man, he was the one, like, 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 what's going on? He finds out this news of what they did. It says he withdrew from there in a boat to what? A desolate place. Why? To experience solitude. So, so how did he re-engage himself? What was he going to do? It's like, man, I got to experience solitude. That's what I need to do. A desolate place by himself. What other reason? Let me give you another one for dealing with um, when we're to experience solitude. How about when dealing with the pressures of being known, sought after? The pressures of being known, sought after, or needed. I don't care if it's you as a mom and it's your kids. I don't know if it's you in your business and it's your employees or the team that you're working with. I mean, there's people, and you, know, you say, well, I don't have that big circle of influence. Well, you have a God-given circle of influence. And so don't be angry or angst or upset about what he's done. He's put you in a family. He's put you in a context. He's put you in a community. He, he's put you in a place where he wants you to have an influence. And so think about Jesus for a moment. I mean, we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. And we'll be talking about him 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 for eternity because he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And that's who he is. And so what it is, everybody was kind of, he was a rock star before there was a rock star. And, and everybody came to him. I mean, can you imagine uh, the people just coming to you and, and depleting you? And for some of us, we feel we're like, yeah, we're not Jesus. We don't have that much, but we're depleted. And, and so what should we do? We should experience this. It says in Matthew 14, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And as he just missed him, what did he do? He went up to the mountain, it says, to pray. And when evening came, there he was. He was alone. Was he sleeping? Was he on Twitter? I, I, don't, I don't think so. I think he was re-engaging his heart and his mind with his heavenly father, just as we need to do as well. How about this one, sixth thing? We've got eight of them. When in need of rest, rejuvenation. When we need recovery that we would do this, that we would seek God in solitude. And that's what Jesus did in Luke chapter five. It says, but now even more, the report went out abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But here again, he withdrew to a desolate place and prayed. When in need of rest, when in need of recovery, when in need of rejuvenation, Luke chapter five, verses 15 and 16, we need solitude. Seventh thing is this, when in preparing to endure a great trial. When preparing to endure a great trial, a great difficulty in the midst of something, that, that we would gain solitude. Matthew 26 tells us that Jesus went out to that garden. And I think you know the story. And if you haven't shed a tear about it lately, I tell you, man, it's just like you need some solitude. 
Because what he did is he went out in the most crisis life. He wanted what God wanted. Thy will be done. God, is there any way to remove this from me? He's experiencing great solitude, and he sat there in the garden, and he told us to sit here while I go over there and pray. Solitude. Lastly, I found this was an interesting one in my Bible study as I searched the scriptures um, last week to come up with these instances, the New Testament, and I was intrigued by this last one. It's simply when fulfilling your call, when fulfilling your mission, when fulfilling your purpose. So think about it for a moment. Everybody wants to understand, what's my calling? What's my purpose? What am I about? What's my passion? And, and you can't just talk to other people to get this. It's like you got to go with God. Luke chapter 4, great verse. Make a note, 42 and 43. And when it was day, he, Jesus, departed and went to that desolate place. And the people sought him, and they came to him, and he would have kept from leaving them. But he said to them, hey, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Do you see that? I was sent to do this. This is my purpose. This is what I'm all about. This is my passion. And sometimes our passion can fade. And sometimes our purpose can, we can get off track. We get on bunny trails constantly. Anybody been there? Oh, don't leave me down here. We get on these bunny trails and all these things, and what we do, we need solitude to re-engage our heart. Now let me take a moment and say this. I'm really asking you to include this discipline in your life. And so I'm trying to convince you that, yeah, you're right, yes, yeah, yeah, that we would do that. That's what this message is about. And what we're going to do at the end of this message, just to prepare you, what we're going to do at the end is we're going to ask you to experience some solitude together, even in amongst the community with some time. And, and the, oh, the goal is this. It's like it, Matt is, is worried, or I want you to experience it here, but my, my desire is that, that this will ignite it in you this week. That as you're fasting, you'll remember to experience solitude and get your focus and praying and reading your Bible. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because solitude helps me trust God. That's the next thing. So I'm having a little bit of trouble. I'm having a little bit of difficulty. I'm just not trusting him. There's a decision before me. I'm just not feeling confident. Solitude helps me to trust God. Notice verse 6 in Psalm 63. Back to the text. He says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you in the watches, on the watches of the night. So in the watches of the night, he's meditating. He says, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of the wings, I will sing for joy. So what's he doing? He's having a short burst of solitude. Again, get downstairs. Get in your car, man. It's like the kids are driving me crazy. Just get in the car, in the driveway, lock the doors, tell them, just get away from me and take some time by yourself. A song, two songs. I mean, we just, we just need this. Before you go to sleep, that, that, that what? That, that I would just experience some solitude, some alone time. That's what he's doing. What did it lead to for him? Well, for David, it's a picture. It's a picture for David that what? That he would have experienced God's provision and protection. That's what he's saying at the end of the verse. It's his provision and protection. He says, for you have been my help in the shadow of your wings. I will sing for joy. So it's like I'm experiencing the protection and the provision of God. I love what Philip Yancey says about God's protection. He says it like this. A God wise enough to create me and the world I live in is wise enough to watch out for me. Hey, God's got your back. 
I know you don't feel like he does, or maybe you're not experiencing it to the degree you think, you think he's dis. God's got your back, and, and he knows what's best for you. And that trial that you have in your life, that circumstance, he's watching, he wants to provide, he wants to protect. Let me give you some common obstacles to um, this idea of getting alone. Common obstacles to what? To solitude. I've got several of them on the board. The first one, I think, is this, busyness. So we're just too busy. We're just running to the next thing, too busy. Too many of us are just working too hard. I thought I'd get amen for that. But we're just busy. Do you know that a third of working people work the whole week, a third of you who work have jobs, and then you work the weekend too? But we're just busy. Hey, we're from the Midwest, got a good Midwest or Minnesota work ethic here. It's like we're going to pull ourselves by our bootstraps. We're going to pull, we're going to provide like we're hard workers. Do you know that 54% of American workers, this statistic, it kind of shocked me, 54% of American workers don't use all their vacation time. 662 million days went unused last year. 662 million. Somebody's going like, that wasn't me. I took all my. <laughs> I took actually somebody else's. <laughs> You know what I did on research for this message? I actually checked. I went on our thing. I checked. Am I taking my vacation? <laughs> but what are we doing? We're just so busy. We're, we're just so busy with the next thing. How about this? How about let's just get a little um, deeper. How about shopping? Shopping. 33% of us shop online at least once a week. You're saying, I do a lot more than that. Average women. Sorry, I got to give this statistic. Is that okay? Ladies, can I tell you something about yourselves? If you say no, I won't do it. Thank you. Now you got the permission, so I, I feel like I can do it. One woman there in the back, I see you. <laughs> she did it for all of you guys. She threw you all under the bus. Average statistic, um, average woman takes 301 trips to the store annually. 301. That's 400 hours a year shopping. <laughs> but, you know, just to balance it, 8 out of 10 men, what do they do? We'll put up this uh, bitmoji. This is what they're about. This is what that men are about. Go ahead and put that bitmoji up. That's the picture. <laughs> this is eight out of ten men watch too much ESPN. Am I speaking truth? Am I speaking truth? I tried to find Steve's bitmoji, but he didn't, wouldn't send it to me, so I had to use mine. <laughs> You've never seen Steve's bitmoji? Oh, it's good. He's gonna play. He's gonna show it next week. Get that off the screen. Average. <laughs> eight, out, eight out of ten men watch too much ESPN. I just made that up, ladies, because I felt bad for you. But, but I think it's true. <laughs> I'm not sure. I know that's true in my own life. I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, somebody get on, get on uh, Google and fix it, find that out. Entertainment. That's another thing that just crowds us out. I'm glad we can laugh together. Entertainment, just, you know, the average person spends five hours a day watching TV. That's 35 hours a week. That's, that's a full-time job. You can get benefits for that. <laughs> But, but what it is, it's like entertainment. Netflix members, who, who's a Netflix member? Go ahead. Oh, you're, you just identified yourself. Netflix members, they watch 140 million hours a day. That's, that's, over seven, that's over 1 billion a week. Average Netflix members watch 60 movies per year. 70% of you all binge watch. Who binge watches? I do. I'm so, I'm into this one right now. Let's just, you know, it's, it's binge watch. We just do it. And, and what does it do? It affects us. And, you know, I, I mean, we're calling, there's so much time that we throw away. Now, this is the statistic. I forgot about this one. 
This is the one that I couldn't believe. 37% of Netflix users, Steve, you got to watch this. They watch, net, uh, 37% of Netflix users binge watch at work. I just, I don't know if that's true. Who's doing that? Just fess up right now. <laughs> like, like, who's watching at work, man? Come on. <laughs> Some of you are watching right now. It's like, turn that off. <laughs> What's the percentage of church? I don't know. How about social media? Let's just tackle that one. And again, we're just talking about what? We're talking about the fact that there's obstacles to solitude. Let's just understand it. 100 million hours of video are watched on Facebook every day. 81% of million, uh, millennials, they check Twitter daily. Social media is a user. Uh, they spend an average of 135 minutes on social media per day. That's over two hours. So, so that's, I'm just saying, it's just, so you say to yourself, well, you're saying, well, I don't have time for solitude. What the heck? Add up all the times you're, you're flipping through. Do you know, I just read this uh, research. Uh, Steve and I were in California listening to this guy, and he was talking about this thing about, uh, remember what he's talking about? He's saying it's, it's, like, it's like the Facebook and all that on your phone. It's like it, it's, it gives you the same emotions as pulling a slot machine. Just like this. It, it's just, it's addictive. So you're just like, it's addictive, and, and they play on that. So you just got to ask yourself, you know, like what are the things that are causing me to do it. Most Instagram food, who knows what it is? Let me show it to you on the screen. Most Instagram food, that's it. Most Instagram food, it's pizza. Isn't that funny? I'm from Chicago. Come on, man, we love it. It's deep dish, that's it. Stop Instagramming your food, okay? Please. Some of us are trying to fast, just stop it. We're on social media trying to fast and you're Instagramming your plate of food. It's not helpful. Okay, we do these things. Let me give you two quick more. What do we do? It's complacency. And here, let's get serious for a moment. I think it's um, spiritual complacency. And so um, you come here and you get fed. And you got an awesome guy who loves the Lord, who's a great Bible teacher, who's trying to get you to, um, he's feeding you weekly. But what his intent is, is that he just wants to get you excited about the word so that you'll open it up for yourself. So are you feeding yourself? And again, double dip with solitude, that you would feed yourself. So spiritual complacency. And then lastly, laziness. Let's just call it what it is. We're just, we're just lazy Christians. And so um, how many students we got here? Any students? Okay, 85 to 95% of you procrastinate. Well, thanks for telling me that. We all know it anyways. Recent study says that 20% of the population is affected by procrastination. Interestingly, it's quadrupled in the last 30 years in 1978, only 5% of the population was what they call chronic procrastinators. Today, it's 26%. You say, what's a chronic procrastinator? I don't know, I've been trying to look it up, but I just haven't had time. <laughs> Not really sure. <laughs> Somebody up there got it. He, he slapped his knee, it was so good. I love this place, Steve, this is good. A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, we as Christians must simplify our lives or lose untold treasures on earth and in eternity. He says, modern civilization is so complex as to make the devotional life all but impossible. He says, the need for solitude and quietness was never greater than it is today. He died in 1963. Think he was onto something? I mean, what's interesting about that, it's, it's crowding out. So, so we need to practice it. I'm so thankful that you're committed here that we want solitude. Two more reasons. 
before we practice it. Solitude helps me. What does solitude help me to do? It helps me to rely on God. Notice verse 8 for a moment. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Then you see the protection and the provision. He says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth, and they shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be a portion for the jackals. Wow, where's he going with all that? Well, he's got some people that are after him, and what he recognizes is when he's got some people that are after him, just like you've got some pressure in your life, that solitude is what we need to practice and what we need to do. I love that phrase, my soul clings to you. I mentioned it at the front end of the message. It's used three times. Let's go back into the psalm. Mark up your Bible. The first time is in verse 1. He says, my soul thirsts for you. So, so what he's saying, he's saying, I'm craving solitude because it gives me time with God. Then look at what he says in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. He's talking about the temple sacrifices. And he says, my soul will praise you with joyful lips. So what's he saying here? He's saying, my soul will be satisfied that what solitude, I love it. It, it just, it satisfies my inward being. And then he says, my soul clings to you. He's saying, I can't live without it. I need this solitude because it, it helps me with time with God. C.S. Lewis said, we live, in fact, in a world starved for solitude. He said, we're starved for solitude, silence, and private." and therefore start for true meditation and friendship. If we don't have solitude, alone time together, we're not actually helping the people around us, our family and our friends. We need to recalibrate so that we can deal with them, so that we can help them. Like it's so important, community, all of us, it's dependent upon re-engaging in solitude. We're, we're starved for it. Interestingly, he says that um, a silence. If you read some of the um, better resources on the spiritual disciplines, you, you know you might want to pick up one from Dallas Willard, and that's a very. Um, it's just a. It's a great um, a celebration of discipline. And, and so that one he unites, and all these guys do this. Uh, Donald Whitney is another great book, a great resource. I like that one. Um, he's got a book on spiritual disciplines that's phenomenal, and they all talk about solitude and silence, kind of being linked up, two sides to the same coin of what? Of experiencing God in a deeper degree. So we need to do it. Why? It helps us to rely on God. Lastly, solitude helps me worship. Helps me worship. And so look with me at what it says in verse 11. He says, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall um, exalt for the mouths of lions will be stopped. But put your thinking caps on a moment before we're almost done. But he says, but the king shall rejoice in God. Which king is he talking about? Is he talking about the king right now? Is he talking about himself? He's king? I don't know. We're not exactly sure the timing of when this was written. He could be talking about himself. He could be talking about somebody else. Probably talking about someone else. Doesn't really matter because why? What he's saying is this. Is he saying it doesn't matter. He's saying either way, those must engage in solitude. And we must engage in rejoicing in him. So that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do now. I want you to engage in some solitude. We've left some space in this time. We're not done yet. Best part's yet to come. That we've left some space for God to work. We've given him some margin just to kind of hit your heart. And so what I'd like to do before you put your Bibles away, I see so many people have their notes open. It's so good. Turn to Psalm 120 for a moment. And if you would just do this um, for me, 
And really, it's not for me, it's for you, that you would turn to one Psalm, uh, Psalm 120. We're going to put these 15 psalms up from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And these are called the Songs of Ascent. And so if you're a Bible student or, you know, you're studier of the Word, you may know that, or it's maybe you're reading a study Bible and it's right in there. The Songs of Ascent are the songs that the people of God in ancient times, what they would do on their way to the temple, on their way to Jerusalem. They, they would, Jerusalem, if you've been there, it's an upward climb. And so these are actually songs, these psalms. And so some of them are short, some are a little bit longer. And so they would be singing these things in preparation, in solitude, as they got themselves to the temple. They made that journey three times a year. And so what I'm just simply asking you to do is pick, don't read all of them, type A. I'm going to read them all right now. <laughs> Stop it. Just pick a few of them. We've got uh, some headings on there. Just pick a few just to engage yourself, kind of separate yourself and, and get some time with God. And the worship team's going to do this. They're going to begin to worship. And, and then so that you would just experience solitude as a way to prepare you this week. Read God's word. Pray together. Grab the hand of your spouse or maybe a friend that you came with. Ah, don't grab their hand. A little weird. But just let's take some time and respond as you feel love. Lord, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. I believe your word has gone forth. And would you give us faith? I love what the psalmist writes. He says, twice I heard God and once he spoke. And really what he's saying is this, is that you spoke once to us, Lord, and it rattles around in our head. May your word rattle around in our heads and our spirits that we may deepen or tie our relationship with you. Move in this time now, Jesus, I ask in your name.